All right, ladies and gentlemen, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today we are talking about the Falcons playoff potential, which Falcon players I put on my Pro Bowl ballot, as well as answering a couple of your listener questions. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. Been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at Falcfans.com. RIP, still going strong on Twitter at Falcfans, writing weekly content at the Falcoholic, the SB Nation website for the Atlanta Falcons. And, of course, the host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's episode of Locked On Falcons is brought to you by On Location, the official hospitality partner of the NFL. It's the only place to score a once-in-a-lifetime Super Bowl ticket and experience package. Visit onlocationexp.com slash Super Bowl or slash SB56 for more information or search Super Bowl on location. So guys, today's episode is wrapping up our week to get you guys geared up for this week 15 matchup between the San Francisco 49ers and the Atlanta Falcons. And today we'll be talking mostly about the potential matchup and whether or not the Falcons can really solidify their playoff hopes with a win this week and what sort of the expectations are going to this game. Then we'll move uh, to talk about the Falcon pro bowlers that I put on my ballot of 106 players, uh, you know, with the final day of pro bowl voting happening on Thursday, yesterday, as most of you are listening to this. And then at the end of the episode, we'll answer a couple of leftover uh, listener questions. Uh, one focused on what was sort of the biggest changes to the Falcons, uh, when it came to beating the Panthers in week 14 versus their loss in week 18. And then we'll also talk a little bit about Cordero Patterson and Dante Fowler's futures in Atlanta beyond this season. But before we get there, guys, I want to thank you for making Lockdown Falcons your first listen each and every day. Of course, Lockdown Falcons is free and available on a variety of podcast platforms, including Apple, Odyssey, Google, and Spotify. And of course, now free and available on YouTube as well. Make sure you subscribe to the Locked On Falcons YouTube page. Make sure you give us that like, make sure you leave a comment, all that jazz. So jumping into the first topic of conversation today, talking about whether or not this Falcons team can, you know, pull off the upset of this 49ers team this weekend. And, you know, this is kind of a potential season defining type of performance. I don't want to necessarily boil down their season to this one game. I don't think that's necessarily fair, but this is a golden opportunity for Arthur Smith to have a a real statement win, uh, getting an, an upset over this 49ers team. And that leading the Falcons to really enhancing their playoff potential. If you look at various websites like 538, the Falcons, I think, are currently at 12% possibility of making the postseason uh, with a win that moves up to like 43% based off of their data crunching. And it falls to 3% if with a loss. So essentially, this game is going to decide if the Falcons really have any shot at making the playoffs. We've talked before about how I think the Falcons are going to have to win nine games this year just to have any chance when it comes to the, the final tiebreakers for one of those wild card spots. Uh, eight games is not going to cut it. And so that means they have to win three out of their next four. And, you know, again, as I've said, Buffalo is by no means a juggernaut, but certainly looks like the tougher matchup of these four games. So if there's one game that you can, quote unquote, afford to lose, especially given that's against an AFC opponent, and that's not going to really impact the tiebreaker situation, but losing to an NFC team like San Francisco, Detroit, or New Orleans will, 
uh, potentially, then the Buffalo game is the one game that you can afford to lose. And, you know, whatever that exact playoff scenario percentage is, I think, you know, it swings anywhere between, you know, seven and 8% uh, around that 43% uh, with a win, you know, depending on what else happens on Sunday with these, some of the other teams uh, vying for a playoff spot. So anyway, we could be sitting here on Sunday uh, doing our rapid reaction saying, okay, the Falcons have a 35% chance or 50% chance, almost a coin flip of an opportunity uh, to make the postseason uh, given a, a sort of a big win against this 49ers team. Now, as I say all that, you know, I'll be honest with you. I'm not expecting the Falcons to win. I think they certainly can win against this 49ers team. We've talked about it already on the crossover Thursday. I think they'll probably need big contributions from the defense and special teams potentially to add points because I just don't think if it comes down to a shootout between the 49ers offense and the Falcons offense, given the 49ers arguably have better play calling uh, with Kyle Shanahan calling their plays um, and have been a lot better at getting their best players, the ball consistently players like Debo Samuel and um, George Kittle, not to mention their running game is probably a little bit more consistent than the Falcons, although the Falcons have been running well. And then you couple that with the fact that the 49ers have a formidable pass rush or at least a formidable pass rusher in Nick Bosa that could really disrupt the Falcons ability to throw the ball while the Falcons don't necessarily really have that. No offense to Grady Jarrett, uh, but he's not necessarily playing at that type of level where I feel confident that he'll be able to get pressure on the quarterback uh, this upcoming weekend. It, Things seem to go in the 49ers favor uh, if it comes to a straight drop back passing game in the second half where each team has to go down the length of the field to score points. I feel like the 49ers are in better situated to be able to do that going up against this Falcons defense than vice versa. So um, that's one of the reasons why. I feel like the defense and special teams are going to have to step up in a major way uh, and potentially get some turnovers, get some stops, uh, get some positive field position battles and really give this offense the best possible footing that they can possibly get. So I say all that thing is possible. The Falcons can win. I think certainly my expectations going into Sunday are not that they do win, but you know, this is a situation as always, for long-time listeners know, you know, I'm a believe it when I see it type of guy. So it's not that I doubt the team. It's just, you know, I, I don't automatically go into with the level of optimism that a lot of people uh, go into each and every Sunday. So we'll see what happens on Sunday. Obviously, we'll be back on Sunday to talk more about it. And we may be, you know, singing a, a completely different tune about how this team has put it all together. And Arthur Smith, you know, his message of we're going to get better down the stretch in December and we're going to be able to improve our football team week to week. And he'll be able to say that if they can beat this 49ers team. And then, you know, we'll see what happens the following week against Detroit and then Buffalo and then to wrap up the season against New Orleans. But certainly this will be a, a kind of a statement win if the Falcons can find a way to pull this off. I don't want to sit here and say the opposite is true. If they lose this game and particularly if they get blown out in this game, that that's a statement loss or anything like that. But certainly it will leave a very bitter taste in our mouth uh, moving forward for the rest of the season. So this kind of game either decides whether or not we're going to be spending a lot of time focusing on the off season. If they lose, then we'll be like, okay, well, their playoff chances are pretty much done. Um, and so let's turn our attention to the off season and what needs to improve for 2022. Or is this a type of game where the outcome is going to decide whether or not we're still invested in the 2021 and 2022 postseason uh, for the remainder of this 2021 season. So we'll just sort of have to see how that goes. And uh, we'll continue today's Locked on Foul Falcons episode talking about the pro bowlers that I put on my ballot and the six Falcon players that I think are deserving 
of your Pro Bowl vote if you happen to vote. And I'll share that in a little bit of my methodology. And we'll talk about those six players that I think, you know, really stood out for the Falcons this season. Uh, but before we get there, guys, Super Bowl 56 is less than 100 days away. And you're probably hoping that you get a chance to see it in person. Maybe you won't get that chance with the Falcons being a, one of those participating teams in that Super Bowl. But why wait and wait for the Falcons to have to fulfill your Super Bowl dreams when you have on location the official hospitality partner of the NFL, and it's the only place to score a once-in-a-lifetime Super Bowl ticket and experience package. You can select your exact seats at SoFi Stadium and choose from elite experiences featuring exclusive pregame celebration with NFL legends, five-star LA hotels, and food by the great Wolfgang Puck. Visit onlocationexp.com slash SB56 for more information or search Super Bowl on location. That's onlocationexp.com dot com slash SB five six or search Super Bowl on location for more info. It's playoff time in fantasy leagues around the world and I happen to be lucky enough that I'm doing pretty well in the postseason in three of my main leagues, but maybe you weren't that lucky. And it's tough because traditional fantasy sports is a long-term losing proposition. And you, you that's the case because you never know who or what you're up against. And Stat Hero is the first of its kind daily fantasy sports platform where it's you versus the house in a head-to-head -head fantasy matchup, winner take all. And here's the crazy part. Stat Hero shows you their lineups before you play and you handpick the team that you want to face one-on-one. -on -one. This never before this never before seen innovation of fantasy sports and sports betting hybrid that Stat Hero players are clocking odds over four times better than traditional fantasy sports. Stat Hero puts you in control of your fate. You are in control of the stakes and you decide how much you're going to play for. And Stat Hero has no choice but to take it because they're daring you to beat them. Sign up for free right now at stathero.com slash locked on and use the promo code locked on for a 100% deposit match. That's stathero.com slash locked on with the promo code locked on for a 100% deposit match. Stathero.com slash locked on promo code locked on terms and conditions apply. So let's get into my Pro Bowl ballot. Uh, and I, as I said earlier, I had six Falcon players on my Pro Bowl ballot. And basically my methodology with the Pro Bowl, uh, I voted for 106 players, 53 players from the AFC, 53 players from the NFC. Yes, I'm, I'm that nerdy uh, to do that. Um, and, you know, I, I try to keep it balanced uh, with that and try to go three, you know, three, three, because you can vote pretty much six for each position and not every position I vote six guys at like I didn't. Vote for, I think I voted for three fullbacks and four kickers or, and stuff like that. Uh, and eventually it wound up with 53 players and it is always balanced. Like I voted for four uh, NFC quarterbacks, Aaron Rodgers, Matt Stafford, Kyler Murray, and Tom Brady, and only two uh, AFC quarterbacks with Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert. But I voted for four AFC running backs with Jonathan Taylor, Nick Chubb, Joe Mixon, Austin Eckler, and the two NFC running backs I had were Dalvin Cook and Cordero Patterson, giving you a hint on one of the six Falcons I voted for. And so that's kind of the back and forth that I did throughout the ballot. And I wound up with six Falcon players on my Pro Bowl ballot that included, of course, the aforementioned Cordero Patterson at running back, tight end Kyle Pitts, offensive guard Chris Lindstrom, cornerback A.J. Terrell, kicker Young Way Koo, and long snapper 
Josh Harris. Now going in reverse order and why I picked each of those guys, Josh Harris, I simply picked Josh Harris because he's the highest graded uh, player according to pro football focus that plays is a long snapper. So I'm like, that's good enough for me. I don't need to do any further research. Josh Harris has been old reliable basically since his rookie season back in 2012 as a long snapper. And I hope the Falcons have plans to continue retaining him in the future because he's been so valuable to this team uh, in that all important long snapping position. Cause Lord knows, you know, you can survive with bad play at every, Every other position, but if you have a bad long snapper, it will break your football team. Uh, so, you know, continue on the special teams kick. You know, Young Wei Koo's been one of the better kickers in the NFC, uh, one of the higher graded kickers in the NFC in large part due to those clutch kicks. He's not uh, scoring as many points this year as he did a year ago. I think we when wound up being tied for the lead in, in points scored. Some of that is owed to the fact that the Falcons offense isn't as efficient moving the ball down the field. Some of that's owed to the fact that the Falcons offense is a little bit more efficient in the red zone. So Young Wei Koo is needing to be kicked less uh, when the Falcons get inside the 20s. So he's been lights out this year, and he was certainly one of the four kickers I voted for. Uh, AJ Terrell, you know, everybody knows that AJ Terrell has played lights out this year. He's pro PFF's highest graded cornerback in the league currently, uh, been playing outstanding, locking t- uh, his side of the field, whether it's man coverage, whether it's zone coverage, making plays on the ball, uh, being a force and run support. He's checking every single box that you want him to check as a cornerback. The only thing, the only knock on AJ Terrell is, is he isn't being asked to be this sort of shadow elite corner. Um, and you know, he doesn't need to be in order to be one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL. So it's a no brainer approach. We'll obviously, uh, continue to, to highlight AJ Terrell's performances. Um, but we certainly have gotten used to him being, you know, probably the best player on the Falcons roster this season. And certainly when we get to my year end awards at the end of the season, I think he's a very strong bet to be my overall most valuable player for the Falcons roster this season. Uh, Talking about Chris Lindstrom, you know, he's had two rough weeks in back-to-back games these past two weeks. But outside of that, he's been lights out, been one of the best guards in the NFL, one of the six or seven highest graded guards in the NFL. And, you know, my methodology was I wanted to vote for both left and right guards. I wound up putting more right guards uh, because those guys have been standing out a little bit more. And Quentin Nelson, uh, a usual shoe-in for one of those left guard votes, uh, hasn't had nearly the season uh, that he has been used to having in, in previous years. And so that opened up an opportunity for someone like a Chris Lindstrom to make it. I think I did put Chris Lindstrom on my ballot last year as well, because I had the similar methodology and wanting to highlight, you know, both left and right guards in that regard. And I think he was like the third last right guard on my ballot last year. And so it's a similar situation. He's been great this season, been both an impact run blocker, impact pass protector. And again, outside of these last two weeks where he, he struggled a little bit in pass protection, uh, been lights out there. Um, tight end Kyle Pitts. Now, you know, we, we spend a lot of time on this podcast talking about what Kyle Pitts isn't. That's not necessarily fair to Kyle Pitts because he's been asked to fill big shoes of Julio Jones. And, and that's been a talking point really since June when the Falcons decided to trade Julio Jones when Julio Jones was on the roster, the Falcons could get whatever they got from Kyle Pitts and it would be a cherry on top. And without Julio Jones on the roster, they basically needed Kyle Pitts to be that sort of security blanket for Matt Ryan. He hasn't necessarily been that, but that doesn't mean that Kyle Pitts hasn't been one of the best tight ends in the league. He was one of the six I voted for in the NFC. I had George Kittle, Pitts, and Dallas Goddard. Uh, AFC, I had Darren Waller. Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews. I did not vote for Gronk just because I wanted to honor a guy like uh, Dallas Goddard and some of these other guys that are actually like one of the go-to targets in their passing attack. You know, Gronk is basically the fourth weapon in the Tampa Bay attack and he's had a great year, all that sort of stuff. But I, you know, 
Tampa Bay is so loaded that it, it just doesn't feel fair to continue to put all these players in. And even though you can argue that Gronk has had a better year than some of those other tight ends that I have voted for, I just wanted to honor the fact that, you know, those guys are like the, either the top or number two weapon in their passing attack. And meanwhile, Gronk is just coasting along uh, behind Mike Evans, um, Chris Godwin, and even Leonard Fournette of all people uh, in terms of catches and targets. So uh, Kyle Pitts has been, you know, very good this year, but because of that sort of Julio Jones size hole, that's where we look at him with any sort of negativity, which is again, not fair to him. He's been outstanding this year and one of the best tight ends in the NFL, one of the six or seven best tight ends in the NFL. And so basically the only knock on him is, Oh, he's not a first ballot hall of famer right out of the gates coming into his NFL career, which we knew he wasn't going to be. So it's not even a fair criticism of him is the point I'm trying to get across. Uh, but I want to acknowledge that because we do spend probably too much time on Locked On Falcons talking about his shortcomings because he's being measured to an impossible, you know, measuring stick uh, that he has to live up to. So I want you to keep that in mind next time you hear me say something along the lines of, oh, well, Kyle Pitts isn't this or Kyle Pitts isn't that. Uh, I think he's well on his path to being exactly that player. And we'll just sort of see how that goes for him. And of course, Cordero Patterson, um, you know, I, I think when I was voting for these running backs, there were like five guys that were clearly at the top. And that was Cook and Taylor and Chubb and Mixon and, and Eckler. And then you could probably get like five guys that you could make an argument to fill that sixth spot. For me, it was Patterson partially because he plays for the Falcons, partially because he's been such a high impact pass catcher, partially because he scored so many touchdowns, um, all these various things. So I wanted to honor that and, and wanted to get a second NFC player. And it was hard to come up with a better option um, for for that spot, uh, you know, beyond Cordero Patterson. He's been, you know, outstanding, one of the go-to playmakers in this Falcons offense. And, you know, this sort of versatile weapon we talked about it earlier this week, how his yards per route run, is one of the highest that we've seen at that running back position over the last, you know, four or five years. Uh, and so, you know, I think it certainly is deserving of, of being in the Pro Bowl uh, this season. Um, you know, a player that you could have voted for, I, I thought about voting with Tony Pollard. I put Tony Pollard on my ballot as a return specialist. So uh, that also made th that, you know, choice a little bit easier uh, for me to, to go with Patterson there uh, to break that sort of tie. So that's my... Um, Pro Bowl ballot, guys, um, you know, I'm sure some of you are interested in all the other players I voted for, but, um, you know, I'm, we're not going to waste your time doing that. So, uh, you know, if, if you want me to tweet it out or something like that, I can I can tweet it to you, but uh, it's not that important. But uh, uh, we'll move on and answer some listener questions that we have left over from last week. Um, so we'll get into that. That includes what changed the most in this week 14 win over the Panthers from their week eight lost to the Panthers, as well as talking about Cordero Patterson and Dante Fowler's futures in Atlanta beyond this season. But before we get there, guys, I want to thank you for making Lockdown Falcons your first listen each and every day. Of course, Lockdown Falcons is free and available on a variety of podcast platforms, but I also have recommendations for some second listens that you can check out around the Lockdown Podcast Network, including the Lockdown Braves, Lockdown Hawks, and Lockdown Bulldogs podcast. You can find them all on the same platforms. You can find Lockdown Falcons, including Apple, Odyssey, Google, Spotify, and Lockdown Braves and Lockdown Bulldogs are also free and available on YouTube. So make sure you go subscribe to those channels as well. So it is the holiday season. BetOnline has had you covered all season long and continues to have you covered with more odds, props, and lines than ever before as we march towards the NFL and college football playoffs. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the sports action this season from 
playoff football to regular season basketball and hockey to boxing, UFC, all the way to your favorite Vegas casino games. BetOnline remains the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile site and sign up today at betonline.ag. And when you do, make sure you use the promo code locked on to receive a 50% welcome bonus. That means if you deposit 200 bucks, you get $100 in free money to play with that you can put down on the Falcons, the 49ers, or whoever you like, the Georgia Bulldogs, or maybe you're a Cincinnati Bearcats fan. Who knows? But wherever you feel like betting on, don't wait. Take advantage of all the amazing offers available at BetOnline, where the game starts. So this holiday season, why not grab a protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar or even better than a candy bar? And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about Built Bars, the best tasting protein bar on the market. They're rich with decadent flavor, covered in chocolate, but they're healthy too. Low in sugar, carbs, calories, and fat, but high in protein and fiber. You get the best of both worlds, both delicious and healthy. There's so many flavors to choose from. I just got a box of coconut brownie chunk caramel macchiato and white chocolate cheesecake. You got other limited time flavors like eggnog and more. You can get old tried and true flavors like peanut butter, brownie, coconut, almond, cherry, barcia, all that sort of stuff. Built Bar are great. They can give you that extra fuel that you need for this shopping season or this holiday season. Whatever you need, Built Bar is there for you. Just head over to built.com and make sure you use the promo code LOCK15. When you do, you get 15% off your first order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. So our first listener question comes from Mantis Toboggan, MD, at Sebastian's Dad 19. He asks, what was the biggest difference you've seen from last Panthers game to this one? Execution, better play calling. Also, Dante Fowler had a fairly productive game, and what's your evaluation on him this year? Do we really... Do we finally have an identity? And if so, is it establishing the run? If so, how does explosive plays play into a run oriented team, more shot plays, more play action rollouts, et cetera. So I think, you know, if you look at the two biggest factors on offense that improved from week eight to week 14, I think the Falcons obviously were able to establish the run, as you say, and run the football much better. I also think the receiver stepped up when we have this conversation about, you know, the, the Falcons receivers really failing Matt Ryan. And that's one of the reasons why he's had this downturn of a season. I think that week eight game is probably the, the most prominent example of a game where you can find it. I think most of the other issues when it comes to Matt Ryan supporting cast is more offensive line related than necessarily the receiver group. Um, but I think that week eight game in large part due to the fact that they did not have Calvin Ridley and he was sort of a, a late uh, scratch to that game, not pointing any fingers at that. But, um, you know, I think the Falcons, you know, expected Calvin Ridley to play on Sunday. And then when he didn't play, they had a, a difficult time adjusting and the receivers certainly didn't step up in that game. So I think those are probably the two biggest factors. I think you could also say Matt Ryan probably was a little bit better dealing with the pressure that Carolina brought in this game than he was in that previous game. I think that week eight game, as I recall, was probably one of the weaker games that Matt Ryan had when it came to dealing with pressure outside of the first couple of weeks of the season. On the defensive side of the ball, I think the big factor was, you know, stopping the run. Uh, the Falcons did a much better job handling the mobility of the quarterback in this game against Cam Newton than they did against Sam Darnold. Every time seemingly Sam Darnold tucked it and ran, it really broke the back of the Falcons defense in that week eight game. And while Cam Newton did have some success running the football in this week 14 game, it didn't feel like that was something that was killing the Falcons in the same way. But probably the biggest factor, uh, you know, overall, whether we're talking about offense or defense, was the ability for the Falcons to create turnovers. They had three t takeaways in this game, plus two turnovers on Downs, which you can uh, technically count as a turnover. And that led to about 15, 13 points in this week 14 game. When you compare that to the week eight game where the Falcons did force a fumble in the opening snap of that game, but they only turned that into three points and did really nothing else. The remainder of the game in, the, in that game, the Falcons 
themselves turn the ball over twice and also miss the field goal. So, you know, it's turnovers. It's, it's the ability to finish drives. It's, these are the things that really ultimately decide the fate of games, you know, red zone efficiency, all these various things that, you know, can mean the difference between winning and losing in a one score football game as both of these games were decided by, you know, six points in I think week eight and eight points this past Sunday in week 14. Um, as for the play calling, you know, I think the play calling has been better as of late. We, we kind of, uh, compared, we used the analogy that Arthur Smith's uh, offense was kind of a limited menu. He's a chef opening up a restaurant earlier this season. We talked about how he's just kind of a chef opening up a restaurant with five items on the menu, two, two appetizers, two entrees, and one dessert. And his style is to basically master the fundamentals before expanding the menu. But I think he's done a little expansion of the menu. He's not adding any sort of permanent items to the menu, but you know, like you come in there on a Tuesday or whatever the case during lunchtime, and he's got a little special for you that you, know, you can just catch at the right time or whatever the case may be, doing a little bit more creative and exotic ways of, of scheming the run game. And I think that's enhanced the run game as of late and doing some different things. I mean, we talked about the bunch formations uh, quite a bit, and that seems to be a staple of their passing attack now uh, more so than it seemed to be earlier in the season. So you're, you're seeing some tweaks and adjustments that Arthur Smith is making. So I think the play calling is improved, but I, you know, I wouldn't necessarily put point the finger and say that was a huge factor in why the Falcons performed better in week 14 than they did in week eight, but I'm sure it certainly uh, had a positive effect there. Now, as for the identity, I'll, I'll talk, I'll answer your Dante Fowler question later. Cause our next listener asked a similar question about Dante Fowler, but um, you know, as for their identity, I think the identity that they want to be is a balanced offense. Like for example, if the Falcons have 30 plays, called in the first half of a game, I think ideally Arthur Smith wants to go into halftime with 15 of those being runs and 15 of those being passes. So I think they do want to be balanced. Um, but I do also think they do want to take shot plays. A lot of those coming off of play action and whatnot. We saw that uh, a glimpse of that identity in the beginning of the third quarter uh, where they came out and, and took that shot play on the deep ball on a double move to Tajay Sharp that Matt Ryan underthrew. And then a couple of plays later, they took another shot play on the flea flicker that again, Tajay Sharp stopped running his route and that nearly resulted in an interception uh, on that particular play. So I think that's kind of the glimpse of the identity. So I think we're seeing glimpses of that identity, but I wouldn't necessarily say that this Panthers game was a real good example of them really truly living up to that identity. You just saw sort of flashes of what this team wants to be a balanced team that can run the football and throw the football and take some shot plays. So that's kind of the identity I think they're building towards, but this Carolina game is probably not the best example of that. Our, our last question comes from Chad Van Horn at Chad Van Horn 77. He asks, uh, when are we going to start talking about re-signing Patterson and what kind of contract is he going to be looking at? What's his market value and how does Dante Fowler's contract look for next year? I know we lowered it for this year, but how does it affect next year? Think we still think he will still be around. So I, I have talked a, a little bit about Patterson's situation, contract situation on Twitter, but not necessarily on the podcast. Basically, my expectation is that Patterson will probably regress next year, given the age, given some steam stuff, given my expectation that the Falcons will probably uh, use a premium pick on a running back this year that they didn't use on last year. And that guy will be kind of be expected to be the RB1 uh, with Patterson in the mix as the RB2, maybe begins the season as the RB1 before that rookie is ready and whatever. And slowly as the season progresses, sort of transitions into more of a RB2 slash third down running back. Patterson currently 
currently is on pace for about 1400 yards from scrimmage this season, which is really good. But my expectation is you're going to see that kind of regress next year, uh, given my expectation for what his role is going to be uh, to maybe 900 or a thousand yards. And that's kind of what Tevin Coleman was when he was playing behind Devontae Freeman here in Atlanta. And that's kind of what I, I kind of see uh, Patterson being. I still think he'll be a very effective player. Obviously, that's a very good RB2 and certainly a guy that can contribute. But I don't necessarily expect Patterson to be getting 14 touches a game next year like he has gotten this year. Maybe that's going to be like 10 touches a game or something like that. So he'll still have opportunities to produce. But that's probably if that, you know, four less touches a game uh, based off his current averages per you know, yards per touch, you know, probably results in roughly about 400 loss yards. So that's where we go from 1,400 to 1,000 or whatever the case may be. So I think really the, the situation the Falcons have to deal with when it comes to Patterson's contract is they have to pay him like that. Not what he's worth now, but what he's probably going to be worth to them next year when he's a little bit older at age 31 and whatever the case may be. And, and certainly, you know, father time is undefeated as they say. Uh, and so you don't necessarily want to uh, basically pay Cordero Patterson like we, you know, the, the example I, I think of is Roddy white, right? Where the Falcons kind of paid Roddy at the end of his career for years of good service, but not for what he was going to give them for the remainder of his career. You can make an argument that this was the the problem with the Julio Jones contract that the Falcons paid Julio for, you know, what he had been, not what he was going to be. And I think one smart way for the Terry Fontenot to distinguish himself from the previous regime is to pay players like what he thinks they're going to be, not what they have been. So I, I say that in to put, you know, financial numbers around what I'm talking about. Like Patterson makes $3 million this year. He's well worth more than that. Let's say he's worth $8 million, uh, which would make him one of the, you know, more valuable running backs in the NFL. Um, you know, I think because of the regression, you're probably looking at a running back that's probably only going to be worth like five or six million dollars at that scale. Uh, if we're if we're talking about that, and then when you look at some of these prominent RB twos that you know also have big value in the passing game, like Naheem Hines and Kareem Hunt, who recently signed contracts for like six million a year, and those guys are much younger than Patterson, 25, 26 years old, while Patterson's going to be 31. I, th I feel like if you're going to pay $6 million for Patterson, that's too much at his age. So I think ideally you're, you're really paying four, uh, five, maybe a million dollars a year on a, on a short-term deal that gives you some flexibility that in case Patterson's regression is bigger than what I'm expecting it to be. Uh, and he looks more like the player he was in Chicago uh, next year than he did, you know, Tevin Coleman or JD McKissick, another comparable player um, or, you know, two thirds of what he was this year, um, then you have the flexibility to potentially get out of that contract. So you're not on the hook for like, you know, six, seven, eight million dollars to a 32 year old running back that's on the decline or whatever the case may be. So like we could see a scenario where the Falcons sign Patterson to like a three year, $18 million a year contract. And it's like, Oh, he's making $6 million a year. But really the way it's structured is it's like a two year, $10 million contract or something like that uh, or whatever the case is, or really like a one year, uh, you know, I don't know if you factor in bonus, like seven or $8 million contract uh, or something like that. Um, so we'll just sort of have to see how that goes. But I think the Falcons, while I think bringing back Patterson should be a priority, I don't feel like the Falcons should feel compelled to pay, you know, to, I think they need to play a little bit of hardball with him. So, what his market is going to be is going to be interesting to me because I don't know what it's going to be based off his performance this year. You would expect it to be like five or $6 million. Uh, so the Falcons should be able to make a competitive offer based off of that. But again, 
maybe another team looks at him and says, no, he's worth more than that. Or maybe other teams look at some of these factors that I'm talking about today. And they're like, oh, well, you know, 3 million, 4 million, that's about the max we're willing to go given his age and the, and the fact that we haven't seen him do this in previous years. So then the Falcons could potentially get him at a, a similar price to what they're paying now. So I don't really know what Patterson's market's going to be, but I, I feel like he deserves a raise, but I wouldn't necessarily go too crazy with the raise is long story short. As for Dante Fowler, the, the restructure that the Falcons did basically makes his contract void after the season. So he'll be a free agent, but he'll still be on the hooks for about $4.7 million, a little shy of $5 million in dead money next year. And so I don't really see any reason for the Falcons to bring Dante Fowler back uh, because unless he's going to play for basically the veteran minimum, they're already paying him basically $5 million. And I think paying Dante Fowler more than like $6 million would be too much given his production. I think Fowler has stepped up this year and, and certainly been a more impactful player and pass rusher this season than he was a year ago, but I still wouldn't necessarily go as far to say that he's been an impactful pass rusher. Uh, like last year, he basically made no impact plays uh, in that season, and any production he had as a pass rusher was by and large based off of scheme, whether that was stunts and twists and blitzes and whatnot. It was mostly the play calling that led to him producing, and again, that's not Fowler's necessarily fault. He was dealing with injuries last year. He's dealt with injuries this year, uh, but he's made more impact plays. He's won plenty of reps and, and created what three forced fumbles or whatever the case may be in four and a half sacks. So he's made some plays this year, but I don't think, you know, again, at, at what his level of production is, that's worth to me a max of five or $6 million and the Falcons are already paying that. Uh, so I, I think you can get similar production or better production from players that are probably going to be cheaper on the open market than what Fowler, what you're currently set to face Fowler. And again, uh, we're only talking about that if he signs a veteran minimum contract, which he's probably not going to do. So I expect Fowler to walk. I, I do respect Fowler for stepping up this year, but certainly I, I don't think he's played at a high enough level for me to really consider him coming back unless he can really tear it up the, over these last four games and, and start giving you a little bit more than like one or two pressures a game, which has been the case for him this year when he's been healthy. Um, you know, unless we're getting three or four or five pressures a game in addition to sacks, then I don't, I don't see Dante Fowler coming back. So I hope that answers both Chad and uh, Mantis Toboggan, the doctor, a.k.a. Sebastian Zad's questions about Dante Fowler. So that's going to do it here, guys. We'll be back again on Sunday with a rapid reaction to find out what exactly happened in the Sunday game. Is the Falcon season over? Are we turning our attention to 2022? Or, you know, is the Falcon season still going strong and it's a statement win, all that various stuff. So you will find out on Sunday evening as will I, and we'll be back. And of course, you can check out uh, that by following us on your favorite podcast platform, whether it's Apple, Odyssey, Google, or Spotify, or, or of course, make sure you subscribe to the Lockdown Falcons channel on YouTube, where the rapid reaction goes up first uh, on Sunday evening. So definitely check us out, usually around eight or nine o'clock sometime during the Sunday night game. So we'll see how that goes 8 or 9 p.m. Eastern, I should say, uh, for those of you that are not on the East Coast. But uh, that's where we'll leave it with Locked on Falcons. If you want to provide feedback to have your questions answered on future episodes or feedback that to tell me what I got wrong or what I got right on anything I talked about on today's episode, anything you want me to talk about on future episodes or anything I've talked about in past episodes, of course, you can provide that feedback by hitting me up on Twitter at Lockdown Falcons or Facebook at Lockdown Falcons. You can send an email to LockdownFalcons at mail.com. You can leave a comment here on the Lockdown Falcons YouTube page. And before we duck out of here, guys, give you another recommendation for your second listen after you tune out of this Lockdown Falcons podcast as, of course, the Lockdown Bets podcast where you can get handicapping expert Lee Sterling's daily picks, blowout special 
specials and Lee's lock of the day. Make sure you subscribe to the Locked On Bets podcast on the variety of podcast platforms that all Locked On Podcast Network shows are available. Uh, there is going to leave it for us, guys. I hope you have a great weekend. Uh, we got the holiday seasons coming up. Hopefully you get an early Christmas present on Sunday with a Falcons victory. If not, we'll still be talking about it, but appreciate it, guys. Till then.